Um, like he said, we're reading from Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, ling forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and their appearance, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This has been the reading of God's word. Good morning, everybody. My name is Randy. I'm one of the elders here at Doxa. So glad you're here. Glad to be here worshiping with you guys. Uh, the elders met this week for our normal uh, Monday night strategy meeting. And when we met, we, one of the, the, the big items on the, the conversation was to talk about what are the next steps that it takes for us as a people uh, to, to be an awakened people who are sent by God to awaken others. Uh, that's what we said that we want to be about. We want to be an awakened people who are then sent by God to awaken others. And, um, 
And, and in that process, in that conversation, um, what are the next steps that it takes for us to be awakened? We really felt like the bullseye kind of landed on our own, our own chefs. Uh, I know I particularly did uh, feel like it landed on, on mine. We, we are, um, and I say we, we're speaking for the elders, and I think as a church, like we are an orthodox people. We are people who believe in the Bible. We love doctrine. We want to be faithful to the scriptures. And by God's grace, I pray that through the past number of years that we have been. But, but though we are a people who are faithful to the scriptures, we love doctrine. We love the Bible. We work through books of the Bible. We have Bible studies. We're always asking the question, how faithful are we being to the scripture? Even though that is who we are, if we have to be honest as elders, we are saying we, though we are an orthodox people, we are a people who are, are low in spiritual vitality and power. That, is, that even hurts to even say in front of you guys. Um, the kind of phrase that we kind of landed on is that we practice what we'd call a dead orthodoxy or a low in power, low in vitality orthodoxy. Uh, as we talked about that and we were kind of around the room and just kind of feeling the weight of that, we were just like, well, what is the, what is the heart of that? You know, wh- why is that who we are? I was, I was actually thinking about it last week when we were worshiping and, uh, Man, we had such a great message brought by Brian on the chapter two of Daniel, and we're singing these songs, and it just seemed to be like we weren't responding from the core, at least from myself, from the core of my heart and the gratefulness of the, the wonder of the God who is sovereign and amazingly powerful. And the words that we were singing were words that should be stirring our souls and stirring my souls, and we we're kind of standing there. And as we're talking to the, the elders in the room, like, hey, what's going on here? What is the, what is the core? What, if this, like, orthodoxy, the, the, the purpose of doctrine, the purpose of the truths of God should be to stir our souls to worship. It should be affecting my lives. It should, be, it should have an a, effect on my, on my soul that comes out in my life. I should feel these deep truths. I should feel them deeply in my, in my soul. It should, these deep truths should have, be having a, a deep effect on my heart. And if it's not, then there's something blocking it. And what's blocking it? And we kind of landed on this idea that, 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 that really we are a, a people who drive for performance, not performing like we're up here performing a great show for you guys, but, but as people that we're a people of performance. And that, I think that's a very easy uh, thing to fall into as Americans. We're people that, that, that we're, we're fairly capable, we're fairly intelligent, and, and, and we as a people in this room, we kind of think that we can be and that we ought, maybe are or should be pretty holy. Like we're pretty holy people. We're pretty good people. Like I need God to fill in the cracks for me whenever I mess up, but generally I'm striving, I'm working hard to be a holy person, to be a good person. We're driven by a drive for performance. And that, and that creates, what well, that creates, it creates a culture where we're always measuring ourselves and we're measuring the other people around us by how well we are performing. When the truth is that God's understanding of, of who we are is that everything that we do, the best of what we do as human beings, hear this, the best things that we do as human beings, God says, God considers them as filthy rags or spoiled garments. In Isaiah 64, 6, it said, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The NIV calls that filthy rags. Now all at our best, that we are, all that we do is actually filthy rags. And, and we, and so it's, still, it's really silly for us to judge our lives by performance because the best that I can do of myself is still a filthy rag before God because my motivations for the good things that I do are evil or wrong or sinful motivations. That's why the best performance that we perform as human beings is like filthy rags. And this truth weighs heavy on me personally. If we are a people of dead orthodoxy, if we are a people 
uh, low spiritual vitality because we have a performance mindset. It, it weighs heavily on my soul because more than, it, because first of all, because it shows a window on who I am. And secondly, it weighs heavily on my soul because more than anybody else, I've created the culture here. And we all contribute to, but nobody else has contributed more than me. And I feel that I need to say more than just I'm sorry. What I really need is a heart change. I need a change in, in my heart where I'm not performance driven. I'm not thinking that I can perform good enough that God can simply fill in the cracks to get me over the edge, over the hump. I need, a, I need a heart change that turns my orthodoxy from dead orthodoxy into live, vital, powerful truth that changes my life and can then affect the lives of people around me. Uh, and I hope that you'll pray with me and I hope that you'll pray for me for just that. And I'll be praying for that for you too. I tell you that this morning because I, you need to know where the Lord is leading us as a people. He's leading us away from dead orthodoxy. Uh, you need to know that because this is the path towards being an awakened people who are then sent by God to awaken others. There's no change, there's no awakening, there's no new life apart from repentance. And I also tell you that because it affects how I am personally approaching the text this morning. There is an objectively true meaning of any section of scripture. You, know, you, you study scripture and we study to find what is God saying? What is the objective truth in this passage? But the particular application, how you apply that truth, changes according to what the Spirit is doing in your life. And so a week ago, I was approaching this text identifying with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The question to me was, how do we stay faithful in the land of exile when our worship of God is challenged? And today, I... I that's still a, a key question, but today I actually kind of more identify with King Nebuchadnezzar than I do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I kind of identify more with, with King Nebuchadnezzar, and I kind of identify more with the people who, who did bow instead of those who didn't. So as we approach this passage, it might be really familiar to many of you. If you grew up around church or you've been around church for a while, this might be a super familiar passage to you. But I think the Lord has a lot of meat on this bone if we'll just approach it with humility. Uh, if, if not, if you don't approach this passage this morning with me as we go through this with humility, then you'll hear a nice moral message or you'll, we'll spend the next few minutes talking about a story that you won't think has any, any sort of bearing on your own life. A story that doesn't apply to you at all. So I pray, let's, let's approach the Lord this morning. Let's pray before we proceed. Now, Father, you are the God of all creation. You created this world, God. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of Daniel and these three Hebrew children. You're the God who sent your son to save us in our sins and we had turned away from you. And yet, Lord, too often, those truths don't stir our souls, don't change us. Lord, I pray that you would come in power through your word this morning and that you would speak to us. I pray you would go after our souls this morning, that you would go after the dead orthodoxy in our hearts, that you would breathe into my soul spiritual vitality and power. 
that you would do that in all of us. God, come after, Lord, I pray, the idols that we have set up in our souls, the idols that we bow down to, and show us the glory of the one in the fire. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, let's look again at this passage that Kate read for us. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Daniel 3, verses. we're gonna start with verses one through seven. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. That's about 90 by nine feet, somewhere around there. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, this is interesting uh, placement here in the story of Daniel and the, and the Hebrew children. In that the last chapter, the chapter two that Brian took us through last week, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and it had puzzled him and troubled him where he had this dream where there was this, this giant statue and the, the head was gold and the rest of the, the body, the rest of the body of the statue got less and less sturdy as it went down. And he had this dream of the statue and this giant rock, this came out of this mountain, came and cr- crashed and destroyed this statue. And it had troubled him, and he had called everybody around him and said, interpret my dream. And he said, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. And the God had revealed the dream to Daniel, and Daniel came and told him, interpreted that the, the, the statue represented all these different kingdoms that were going to come after him, that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom was the, the head of gold, but all these other kingdoms that were going to come after him were going to be progressively more brittle and progressively uh, less strong and less valuable, less sturdy, but that God was establishing a kingdom that was greater than all of them. That was the rock that was thrown at the, the statue and that he was going to destroy all other kingdoms and he and his kingdom alone was going to be the everlasting, the eternal, the never-ending kingdom. His kingdom alone would last forever. And Daniel was impressed by that, that, that dream. I, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar was impressed by this interpretation that Daniel had because Daniel knew what the dream was because Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell anybody what the dream was. He had to, he had to know what the dream was and then interpret it to be able to come to him. And secondly, he was impressed because that that Daniel was able to interpret this dream to him and, and laid out all that it meant. And so he ends chapter two with this declaration of the, of the power of Daniel's God. He says, man, Daniel's God is great and mighty. Daniel's God is awesome. That's how it kind of ends. And so it seems like, hey, this is really cool. Like, you know, if you can imagine being a, a Hebrew at the time, like, hey, Daniel gave the king this dream. Uh, uh, God gave the king this dream and Daniel gave the king the interpretation and the king ended up saying, man, your God is awesome and great. So man, it has to kind of be kind of exciting to, to think like maybe Nebuchadnezzar is coming over to our side. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar is going to worship our God or at least acknowledge that our God might be true and might be real. But something happens, uh, some, the amount of time that passes, and then all of a sudden, the next thing that we see is Nebuchadnezzar has decided, interestingly enough, to build an idol made out of what? In the plain of Durham. Made of gold. That was the part that represented him and his kingdom on, the, on this statue. He, he erects this golden giant, tall, 90 foot by nine foot structure, gold statue on the plane. 
like overcompensation much. And he erects it out there and says, this is the great idol that I have built and I command everyone everywhere, including my most important people. And you better be here, come and assemble on this plane in front and around this idol. And not only that, but when you come, here's what's gonna happen. I am gonna have an awesome worship service. And I'm gonna have every single instrument there that you can imagine. No matter what style of music you like, it is all there and the band is gonna play and it's gonna sound amazing. And when they play, here's what you're gonna do. You are all going to bow down before this golden statue, this golden idol, and you are going to worship there. Nebuchadnezzar's response when God showed him that his kingdom was fleeting and God's kingdom was actually going to be the everlasting kingdom, his initial response, his knee-jerk reaction after that first like, oh man, that is awesome, is to then turn around and build a giant idol for the nations to worship. It's hard to humble yourself. I think it's part of the lesson here. Even though he was humbled and that Daniel was able to come and tell him exactly what he had dreamed and tell him the interpretation of the dream, it's hard to actually turn around and actually humble yourself. You look foolish. You look weak. He didn't want to look foolish. He didn't want to look weak. He's trying to build his, a great kingdom and he's now challenged by the thought that this guy's coming in and saying that my kingdom's not gonna last forever. Well, bump that, I'm gonna assert control. And I'm gonna build a kind of idol that the world hasn't seen before and by my command, everyone will come and they will bow down and they will worship this thing. Nebuchadnezzar is flexing his muscles. He's building this idol to show his glory. The world had never seen, can you imagine a 90 foot tall statue built of gold? Whether it was gold all the way through or gold plated, that's still a heck of a lot of gold. He's shown his glory in that Babylon has conquered so many nations and so many people that there in Babylon, he is officials representing the nations and languages of the world. And he tells you, you will all come and you will bow down to this thing. He's showing off his glory and he's doing it in order to assert his rule. Because if, he's, if he, he knows that if whatever God you may worship and whatever land you come from, if you will come and you will bow down before this thing and you will worship it, then you belong to me. I'm asserting, he's asserting his rule over them. That's how Nebuchadnezzar responds to this dream that God gives him. And that's how we as humans always respond to God's rule. It's the story of human history. And not just God's rule, just rule in general. As soon as, as, soon as someone tells you not to do something, isn't the knee-jerk reaction you want to do is to do it? Just because, because you're not the boss of me, because we're still like three years old in our souls and deep down inside, because that, that, that drive to rule ourselves, to, to be the king of our own lives, to be the king of our domains, is hardwired into us from our great-great-grandfather Adam. It's who we are in the core of our being. We don't wanna bow down to anybody else. We want to rule ourselves. We want to be in charge. In Romans 1, that's why God says, for although they knew God, Paul writes, although they knew God, that he says all human beings, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Why? Because you're not the boss of me because I want to be in charge. And I want to do, anytime I'm threatened, anybody, anything threatens that I'm not in charge, I'm gonna do whatever I can to build a, a, my own idol, my own safe place so that I can feel and convince myself that I am in charge. 
Now, you may not think that this applies to you. You may think this applies to those primitive people way back then who bowed down before statues. But the point isn't what statue they were bowing down before because we aren't told what, what the statue was of. It could have been a statue that made, a, made the king divine. It could have been one of the other Babylonian gods. It doesn't really matter. The point isn't what they were bowing down to, but that they were bowing down to anything or anyone other than God. That's the point. The point isn't what you bow down to. It is that you bow down to anything or anyone other than God. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, all the peoples who are gathered around this statue, gathered around this idol, and all the other Hebrews that, that bow down, they're all ultimately, here's what they're doing, they're all ultimately serving themselves. They're not bowing down. The idol doesn't matter. They're bowing down to serve themselves because in the, in the end, all idolatry leads back to the self, our self. The, the motivations, you think, what were the motivations that were going on here? Well, we kind of touched on Nebuchadnezzar's motivations, but what about the other people that are gathered around there? See, Babylon was a, a, a polytheistic culture. That means they, they believed in lots of different gods. So it's very possible and likely that a majority of the people gathered around the idol did not actually worship or serve the God that Nebuchadnezzar had made into this giant idol. Why are they bowing down to this thing? They don't worship that God. Why do the other Hebrews that we know that were, were probably there around them and it's only these three that we see that don't bow down, why were they bowing down to this great idol that, if they didn't believe that, that's the, that that was actual God. That is interesting that he, he actually specifically says the, the, the rulers, he talks about the satraps, the, he talks about these are the high-ranking officials that he specifically says, you guys have to come and worship. And here's what we know from, uh, from those who were like high up in this society at the time is that they actually didn't think that the actual idol was the God. They thought it represented the God, but they didn't think the actual idol was the God. So why are they coming and bowing down to this thing? Well, it's probably self-preservation. Had the king said to do it, I'm gonna bow down, this thing will be over, and we can go and get some lunch afterwards. Let's just appease Nebuchadnezzar. He spent so much money and so much time building this thing. And if, he's already said, like, if, I, if we don't do this, we're gonna die. So let's just go out there, do it, get it over with. It may not mean anything in my soul. I am simply just in my mind bowing down. I'm not worshiping this idol, but I actually I am bowing down and worshiping myself because I'm trying to preserve myself. I'm trying to look good before the king and for the people around me. I'm trying to preserve my own life. See, there's a pull in all of our hearts to, to worship something else, anything else other than the one true God. And here's why, because that God is too powerful. You know why Nebuchadnezzar, like, we don't know his heart, what was going on, but as you can imagine, why, why did Nebuchadnezzar, when he's shown that Daniel's God is greater than all the Babylonian gods. None of the other people who served the Babylonian gods, none of the other magicians in the court could come to him and interpret his dream. Daniel alone could come to him and tell him, not only is this what your dream means, but here's what you dreamed and you haven't even told us. He alone could do it. Why would Nebuchadnezzar not respond, like not just say like, hey, that's awesome, nobody talked bad about Daniel's God, but why wouldn't he bow down before that God himself? Because you know why? Because that God revealed that he was about his kingdom and not about Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And that is offensive to all of us. Because when we come face to face with the truth of the one and only true God, we come face to face with the truth that he is not interested in building our kingdom. God is not about the name of Randy. God is not about making you comfortable and building your kingdom so you can feel safe and good about yourself. God is not about building your kingdom so you can feel better about who you are. That is not God's purpose in life. God doesn't bow down to you or to me and that offends us. That hits us wrong. 
When we come face to face with God, when we, when we see the God of the Bible, he reveals that he's about his glory and his kingdom and not mine. And that strikes me in the core of who I am. It gets a little too close to the heart. It gets a little close, too close to, to, my, to the core of who I am when I realize that God is not about my agenda. I'd rather go find a God who is or make up a God who is or make up a life where I can make people around me feel like, I, like my agenda is really what is central. If you're familiar with the stories of Narnia, they, you know that the, the phrase that's used about Aslan, who represents Jesus, is that he's good, but he's not safe. He's not safe, but he is good. But it's, it's not, that isn't even, that, that's true, but it doesn't really quite get to the, the offensiveness of who God is to us. He is about his glory, not mine. And all of us bow down to other idols. Doesn't matter what the idol is. We erect, we build in our own lives any kind of idol. John Calvin said that the, the human heart is a factory of idols or an idol factory. I can produce, I'm trying to produce anything, anything that I can to serve and worship God, other, to, work, to serve and worship other than God. Anything that can make me the center. My pleasure. I worship pleasure, I worship my comfort, I worship my luxury. Pleasure always leads to addiction, but we still worship it. Pleasure is always fleeting and it never pleases us, like the, this thing never pleases like it used to, so we always have to go find new pleasures to chase down. It's an endless road that never leads anywhere, but we've, we've worshiped that. We worship the idol of power because we want to feel that we can control our world. So that might be the idol of power in my home or at my workplace. Some of you guys have built businesses not because you like money, but because you like to be in control. Some of you men dominate your wives not because of submission, but because you want to be in control of your home. Some of you parents dominate your children not because you're trying to build them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but because you want to dominate and control your home. You want to feel like you're in control. We bow down to relationships. If I can just feel popular, if I can just feel loved, if I, and what that means to me to feel popular, to feel loved is that people adore me, people are centering themselves around me. I want to feel like I am in the center and I am in control. What do you bow down to? Tim Keller says, the things that you daydream about in your spare time are ultimately the things that you serve. The things that you daydream about in your spare time are ultimately the things that you serve. In the end, all idols lead to self and then that leads to entrapment because we serve what we worship. So the Hebrews, these three Hebrew children, actually all the Hebrews face a quandary. He says, this is the idol. Everyone will come and gather around this idol and you will bow down and you will worship whenever the music starts playing. We're gonna have a worship service for this idol. You all come and you all bow down and you worship this thing. And these young men faced a quandary because they knew that they should not do that. God specifically said this in Exodus 20, part of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what he said. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For why? For I am the Lord your God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God takes worship very seriously. 
God takes us stealing worship that is meant for him. We were made to glorify him or to worship him with all of our being, and we steal that for ourselves. God takes that incredibly seriously. This is not about a clash of culture. All those Babylonians that they worship these gods, we know that's not true. Hey, just bow down and placate the king and get past this. It's not a big deal. It's not about self-preservation. Hey, just bow down and he won't kill you and you can go back home and serve your God. The interesting thing is Nebuchadnezzar didn't say you can't serve the God of the Hebrews. He just said also serve and worship this God. But these three Hebrew children, they knew that, that this was more important. This is more than just about a fleeting moment that was going to pass. It was more than just bowing down to this thing. It was more than self-preservation. It was more than a, a culture clash. That, the, that even though the God who spoke these words into existence seems like they've been ripped away from their home country where he led them. And even so, they knew they cannot bow down before this idol. But they had to feel, feel in this, like, this conversation in their head. It's just a temporary thing. Just do it and get it over with. The Lord knows our heart. Certainly he knows that we don't believe this is a real idol. He knows that we can do so much good if we are able to stay and in, in influence and power in this, in this nation. If we can keep the ear of the king, like, let's just do it and get past this. Well, we can take like, heart reservations and know, God, you know that I'm not really doing this for real. It'd be too disruptive. If I, do the, if I, if I don't bow down, it would risk the well-being of those who are close to me. We just do this and get it over with. We can be fully devoted to God afterwards. The seductive power of idolatry to worship an idol comes from the belief in the superiority of the God that we worship. If I truly believe that the Lord God is greater than anything else, if I truly believe that in my soul, I will not bow down to anything else. I will not bow down to myself. But if I believe that I am actually the greatest thing, I will build any kind of idol and bow down to it. God said, see now that even I, I am he. There is no God besides me. I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I think those words were ringing in these three guys' ears. So what would they do? Daniel 3, 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Now, And he answered them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, he's given them another chance. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. It'll, it'll be all right. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And notice how they responded. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, the question to ask is, what would make Nebuchadnezzar so angry at these three immigrants about this? These are just three immigrants. He knows they don't worship the Babylonian gods. 
He knows that they worship the Hebrew gods. This is not news to him. Why would he be so angry that these three guys would refuse to worship? And why would he give them a second chance whenever he already said, if you cross me, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace? Why would he do that? I think Nebuchadnezzar was angry because their worship of the one true God crossed his worship. Their worship of the one true God crossed his worship. Because worship is, also, is tied to fear. We worship what we fear, or we submit to what we fear, and we worship what we submit to. And, and Nebuchadnezzar was afraid of losing his power. Nebuchadnezzar's worth and value is built up in this kingdom that he, that he ruled, that he had built. And the, the thought that it may not last forever, that they, it could not stand, it crossed his own self-worship. And whenever he sees these three Hebrew children refusing to bow down, that crosses his worship. And that's what makes him so angry. How dare you not bow down to my idol? How dare you not bow down? How dare you not fear what I fear? But look at how they responded. He responds in anger. It says that his whole face, it changes whenever they respond the way they responded to him. His whole countenance changed whenever he saw the way they responded. And look at how they respond. Look at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. It says they were calm. You see how calm they were when they approached the king? They weren't all worked up. They didn't shoot off a million Facebook posts and blogs. They said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We will not worship and God will have to deliver us. And if he doesn't, we, won't, we still won't. They were humble, but they were firm. That's what faith looks like. Calm, humble, firm. But it's the fruit of faith. Like you can't leave here and say, all right, I'm gonna try to be calm, humble, and firm. That's the result of having faith. Why weren't they angry like Nebuchadnezzar was? They've been commanded by a pagan king to worship a false god. Why weren't they angry the way that, like he was angry? I think they weren't angry because our worship shows what we're submitted to. Our worship shows our submission. And our submission shows what we fear. Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who forms you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored. I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not fear the king and did not fear the fire because they had a greater object of fear. What's more powerful than this great fire that is so hot that it killed the men who were throwing them into the fire? Why would they not be afraid? Why would, not, not, why would they not be afraid? Nebuchadnezzar was mightier than any man alive at the time. He could do whatever he wanted to them and to their nation in the snap of a finger. Why would that not be afraid? Because their God is the God who created the fire and held it in hand. Their God was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They had a superior object of worship. That's why they did not fear, because they had a superior object of fear. They had a, a superior object of worship. It, it just, it only seemed natural to them. 
That's why in Romans 12, 1, it says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable worship. It's the only thing that makes sense if you know who God is. Why would they fear the king? Why would they fear the fire? He's able to deliver us from that fire, and if he doesn't, we still won't cross him because he holds it all, the whole world, in the palm of his hand, king. We are more afraid of him than we are of you. And so we don't have to fight you. We don't have to shoot off a million blog posts and yell and scream about, because that's between you and God. God will take care of, God is fully able to take care of his kingdom. We're just here saying, we won't bow. And then the, Nebuchadnezzar got so angry, he was filled with fury, the expression on his face was changed against them and he ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than usual. And he told those men, he could grab them, throw them into this fire. The fire was so hot, like I said, it killed the men that threw them into the fire. They should have been instantly consumed. And then the king says, wait, I don't know how he was looking or why he was looking into the furnace. But he's looking in there and he says, wait, those guys aren't killed yet. And not only that, there's, didn't we throw three of them in the fire? There's another one in there. And he looks different. He looks like the ESV says, a son, one of the sons of the gods. This is the great ending of this story. We don't, we don't leave it wondering at these three men and their heroic stance. They weren't, they weren't heroes. It only made sense to them not to bow to this idol and not to bow to this king because they served a greater king. You know who their king was? The one that was, ended up in the fire with them. That's the king you want to serve. The king who's in the fire. The king who created the fire and holds the fire, but we are so caught up in worshiping and serving anything and anyone other than we don't often even see the king who's in the fire. There's, there's many theologians who think that this, this man, this one that resembled the sons, of the, the sons of the gods was actually the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ standing in the fire with these three Hebrew children. And you know what he's doing? He's fulfilling the great promise to God's people. And to those that worship and serve him only, he says, I will be with you. There was a fourth man in the fire, in the fire. Do you hear that? In the fire. That's Jesus. Jesus came into the earth. He came to the earth. He came into the fire with us and took on flesh. He came into the fire to be with us. He said, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. When he told the disciples whenever he ascended back to heaven, he says, go into all the world, go to all the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. I will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus came into the fire with us. Why would we bow down to any other king than the king that would come into the fire with us? Why would you bow down to any other king than the king that came into the fire with you? Why would we worship? Why would we take time and try to worship and build kingdoms unto ourselves rather than serve the one who holds the universe in his hand, the one whose fire is not, the fire's not hot to him. The king says, Nebuchadnezzar says, they're walking around, tell them to come out of there. And there there are four in the fire, three came out and it says that not even a a hair on their head was singed. The only thing that burned was the the, the bounds, the the ropes that bound them. Who are you bowing down to? Who are you worshiping? think that time for 
playing church is over. I think for time for playing around with worship of this kind of God is over. It's not the kind of God you play around with worship to. Because he's not playing. He never was. He just forbears with us whenever we play around in his grace and mercy. Uh, this morning, I think it would be appropriate to do some business with the Lord. I think you should own to yourself before him right where you are. These are the idols that I've been worshiping. These are the things I've set up in my life so that I can feel like I, I'm in control and that I'm the center. I worship relationships and pleasure and power. If you're here this morning, don't play around. He came to the fire. He came to us to be with us. He's good. He's forgiving. He's gracious. But he's not safe. And he doesn't share his kingship with anyone else. He will not share his worship with anyone else. If you're here this morning and you think, man, I've been around this Christianity thing a while. Or maybe you hear, I'm, I've been considering this a while. I've been playing around with it. I've been thinking about it. But I've never really made him the Lord of my life. This is the moment. And if you're here a Christian, I think this is the moment for you too. To be real about things that you've been playing around with. And confess it. And bow down to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.